It all starts with a ripple, 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 ripple Before it becomes a wave Welcome everyone, welcome to the second session of Death Talks. Uh, thank you for making space and time on your Saturday evening to join live, um, especially some of you, it might be late where you are. Um, and, and for those that are on in, in different time zones where this is just a ridiculous hour to be on Zoom, uh, these sessions in part will be available on the Yoga Farm podcast, just, just parts of this lecture. Um, not your faces, not your voices. So know that that's also a, an, an alternative route. Um, and I'm just so delighted that you're here. 50 is a good number, 51, all right. Um, so for those of you that this is your first time here at Death Talks, let me just give you a little bit about the why of these conversations. Um, I have, I've had the great good fortune of the honor and joy to be a death educator um, and to be uh, a death counselor. I find this to be a topic here in the West, especially, that we have very little conversation about. It's, it's, um, it's, something, it's a topic that here in these conversations, what I can promise you is that I'll bring great reverence, um, truthfulness, straightforwardness, and clarity around a topic that we don't address in our culture. We have a great attachment in our culture to wanting to focus on that which actually is always changing. And we want to, we are attempting to keep things from changing in our culture. We have a focus not on that which is permanent and, and unchanging. And we focus on that which is always changing as if it shouldn't be. So the topics around death, dying, aging, grief, bereavement, mourning, tend to sound very straightforward like, well, I'm, I'm, I'm doing my best to be strong for everyone else, right? That's, that's how we move through grief oftentimes in, in our contemporary Western culture. So the conversations, um, the why of death education is to start to bring some greater straightforwardness, contemplations for you, practices in between sessions that you can apply in the curriculum of your lives exactly as your lives are, so that you can become more intimate with, our, with your own mortality and with the mortality of others in your lives. So that's the why. 
Monday evening at 7.30 p.m., I host office hours where you're welcome to come um, and ask any questions, especially if there's something that comes up um, in these conversations that you just sit with and you percolate with, you steep in, and that you'd like to ask questions around. You're more than welcome to bring those questions also to Monday night office hours. There's also a private Facebook group called Death Talks where we can continue these conversations in between um, first Saturday of the night session. So um, this evening, the topic is the six keys for being with the dying. All right, the six keys for being with the dying. Um, I don't announce ahead of time what the topic is because it usually finds me right beforehand. <laughs> so I don't want to marry myself to a topic and then something else comes in. <laughs> so, so, so thank you for just showing up in hoping perhaps it would be a, an interesting conversation for you. So, so tonight we're going to talk about the six keys for being with the dying. Now, that can apply to anyone in your life that is navigating chronic illness, terminal illness. Um, it's in their field of awareness, the questioning their own mortality. Those of you who have been a part of these conversations and have contemplation about death and dying as part of your regular practice will quickly recognize that the keys for being with the dying are keys for being with everyone. However, in this conversation, we will apply it in this way, and yet there will be a voice inside of you that will be, that will be saying, wait, what if I spoke to everyone this way? <laughs> wait a minute, what if, how would I treat myself and others if these six keys, nope. <laughs> these six keys were actually how I related to everyone in my world. It's a worthwhile contemplation. Imagining how would you treat yourself and others? How, who and what would you be if you lived these six keys with everyone in your world. All right, so we're just gonna dive right in. So the first key of being with the dying. It's important to get really clear on your own stories, beliefs, worries, concerns around death and dying because whatever you haven't spent time contemplating for yourself will show up in conversations with others. We, will, we can very easily, in fact, it's almost impossible not to, have anything unresolved, anything that's not reconciled, anything we're unclear about for ourselves around death or dying is going to be projected. We're going to be looking through those lenses when we're being with others. 
anything that we haven't spent time with in our interior world will show up when someone else brings that to us. That is the very thing that prevents us from, key, from abiding as the embodied expression of key number two. Now, before I go on to that, key number one, well, if, you're, if you have the question of, well, how do we know what happens after we die? Dive in, start your own exploration. Who are teachers that you know, like, and trust that maybe they have resources? Um, what, what books are out there that you feel called towards? I'll share some resources, my favorites, in the Death Talks Facebook group. And you may have your own suggestions. There are very interesting talks by Anita Morjani. She wrote Dying to Be Me. There are um, very interesting, and I'll just use the word interesting. Okay, notice I'm not saying I know what the truth is. However, when you embark on your own contemplation, your own inquiry, you can trust the, 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 the vibrations, the resonance in the tuning fork of your body to point you in directions. Your beautiful temple body is a tuning fork that resonates to truthfulness. And it resonates to direction. So you start reading or exploring or listening to something and you can feel pretty much within the first few minutes, is this your cup of tea or not? If it's not, you move on. It's not your job to answer the question. Have the aspiration for knowledge, insight, wisdom, for that which is appropriate and best for your own soul's journey with these brilliant questions to guide you. Just have the aspiration. Guide me. Show me. Um, so again, in the Facebook group, I'll put a whole list of resources. John Edward is a brilliant resource, and he may not be your cup of tea. Many years ago, he did the, the, the show Crossing Over, um, and he has some wonderful books. Uh, uh, the Afterlife of Billy Fingers, I find to be a fabulous, fabulous resource. There's just, there's a host of others, and so I'll make sure that you have those, those resources. And again, you may have some of your own. It's important to, con to really get clear on what do you believe? And it's okay if you don't know what. Can you remain in the I don't know mind versus holding on to beliefs that have been handed down to you through traditions that maybe you just don't know if you actually believe them? What are your direct experiences? The more open our mind becomes, the more available we are to pay attention to the living moment at play, especially in nature, the more available we are to notice synchronicities, uh, events that stop our mind, we're more available. The more fixed and rigid our beliefs are, the less access we have to anything outside of that.
So question your beliefs, your superstitions, your worries and concerns about death and dying, about death and dying as it relates to your experience in the material plane and death and dying as it relates to what you don't know you don't know about the unseen realm. Take time with these questions, these explorations. In other traditions, this is part of daily practice. This has been part of my daily practice since I was in my teens. Befriend these conversations within yourself so that you can show up with others and you can hear their worries, their concerns, their beliefs that may or may not be questioned and you don't get defensive. The only reason we get defensive is because we're uncertain for ourselves. So defensiveness is one indicator of an attachment to a belief that we may be very nervous to question. So start to flush those out. It's a lifelong inquiry. There's no rush. Just be with it. Like Rumi says, the answers are within the questions. They will come to you. The right amount of information will come to you. So getting clear on your own stories, beliefs, reservations, what you're worried and concerned about in the material plane and in the unseen world, whatever language you like, because that shows you where to focus some attention regularly. Class one, if you haven't had a chance to listen to you, gives you some very concrete on the ground practices, how to bring this more into your life. Greeting the living moment newly and as if it might be the last time you interact with it. Spending time in nature, 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 reveals all. So the second key for being with the dying, the more we attend to our stories, our worries, our own personal concerns and beliefs, that allows us to embody the second key. And that is to be with others as tender, clear presence being with someone who has a terminal illness, being with someone who's navigating a health circumstance that has an unpredictable outcome. The more clear we are in our interior world, the more capable we are to show up for others through presence the greatest, greatest gift you can give others is through the balance of tenderness, clarity, and presence. What does this look like? It comes through your soft smile. It comes through 
the light of your heart that shines out the light of your eyes. It comes through tender, connected eye contact. It comes through gentle touch. The greatest gift you can be to another who is dying is tender, clear presence. The second key, and these now are in no particular order, is making sure you take conscious time. See, when you show up as clear, tender presence, your three centers of intelligence are online together. Your clear, kind mind is online with your open, warm heart which is in communication, these three centers of divine intelligence are, is in communication with your will center, your core center, your head, your heart, and your core center now are all engaged, they're online together through tender, clear presence. So you can show up in this way what remains because we're not running stories, we're not running our worries and concerns, we're not running our beliefs or our reservations. What remains in that space is gratefulness and presence. So the third key for being with the dying is the ability in our presence to express tremendous gratefulness for them and to be able to articulate what we cherish about them. What do you cherish about another? What do you cherish about this person that you're with, that you're being with? How has this person informed your greatness and your way of living? How, what are some remarkable, memorable, moments you have shared together that have touched you. Imagine being present with someone and being able to say to them, you know, I will never, ever forget you. I will never forget your best because it's your best that will live through me. Your best informs my living. And by my embodying your very best, we are always connected. You will always truly live on through my way of being. What have you learned from someone? What difference do they, have they made in your life? I know it sounds simple. And when there's a clearing when we are as presence, when we are engaged with tenderness and care, that is what naturally arises because it is in the living moment. And that moment you become so, have such a heightened awareness of the preciousness of it. So sharing with people, sharing with another, how profoundly 
they impact your life. Now, you may say, well, this relationship that I'm in with this person who is dying has been a very complicated relationship. You may want to contemplate how have they informed you. I can always articulate to someone how they have informed my best by doing the opposite (laughs) of what they have taught me without saying that, okay? We never want to put someone down. Yet people come into our lives for one of two reasons. They show us who to be, they show us what to be, and oftentimes what not to be, (laughs) right? That's a very powerful lesson. (laughs) There's a way to articulate that as well. There's a way to express to someone what you have learned through them. Find the good. Find where highest meets highest. Find your highest, your highest meets another's highest. So the fourth key is to listen to another. We're very used to advising, wanting to fix and make something better for someone. And what I can say is, again, the greatest gift we can give others is deep listening. So what is deep listening as, as compared to hearing someone? Deep listening, much in the line, the, the line of active listening, does several things. When we're deeply listening to someone, we have no agenda, okay? You're really clear that you have no agenda other than being present. There's no motive. So you can be with whatever it is they have to say and express. Deep listening or active listening doesn't interrupt the other. Deep listening does not share how you can understand what they're saying by giving an example of how you've experienced something similar or the same. There absolutely can be a place and time for that, and it's not in deep listening. Deep listening is where you literally are only listening to someone. You're not, your relatedness is through listening. It's not through story sharing. Deep listening allows the speaker to move into all of the layers of their being, okay? The six layers, of the, they can be in their physical body, they can be in their mental body, they can start to drop down into their emotional body or their heart center. They can, stop, they can start moving into, into their awareness body, their wisdom body, and even their bliss body. So when a speaker is uninterrupted, they can travel into the depths of their layers of being without interruption. When we story share as a way of relatedness, it pulls the speaker back up into the mental body because they're now listening to you. So deep listening, active listening, invites the other to share what they're present to, 
what they're navigating, what their thoughts are, what their concerns are, what their challenges are, what they just want to express. And when we allow these conversations, there are two responses that are typical in deep listening from the listener. There's, there's gentle paraphrasing. Um, I hear you, Jennifer. I really hear that it is, it is really an enormous hurdle for you right now to not be able to walk up the stairs like you're used to. I can imagine that that feels like a tremendous loss right now. So I did two things. I paraphrased back what the speaker was, was conveying and I added in what I imagine the emotion might be that she's experiencing. Now, a speaker will either correct me and say, no, it's not frustration or it's not, it's not sorrow. It's, it's, I feel, I feel enraged. Okay. So, so by throwing a dart at the emotion that you imagine they're, are, they're describing, they may be feeling, they're either going to say, yes, that's it. Exactly. It feels like a, a grief, like a, like, like a, I'm, I'm having to say goodbye to an aspect of my being that I never thought I would have to. Or they'll say, no, it wasn't that, it's, and they'll find it. You see, you see, it doesn't really matter if you even get the emotion right. They'll either, it'll either move them more deep into what they were articulating, or it'll help them to fine tune even more specifically what it is they're seeking to articulate. So active listening has an element of paraphrasing. This lets the speaker know, I'm with you, I'm hearing you. And while they're speaking, how you engage your mental body is by just imagining the images of what they're describing. So as Jennifer is describing the challenge of trying to go up the stairs and no longer being able to, I'm envisioning that in my mind's eye. So I can imagine it's bringing me into the embodied experience and emotion of connection and relatedness without taking on her pain. I'm not taking it on. I'm just getting present to what that could feel like. I'm getting in her world as the listener. Active listening allows another in the cessation of advising inter and interrupting and shooting with another. It allows the speaker to move from the head center down into their heart. Oftentimes there's a lot of emotion that might suddenly and spontaneously start moving for the speaker. Why? Because they're not interrupted and they're not being pulled back up into the mental body and back and forth. They're able to stay in their experience. And there's oftentimes a release of emotion which, which takes the speaker usually by surprise if they're not used to that or comfortable with that. And this is an opportunity for you to always gently assure them, oh, because people tend to apologize profusely for, for tears or feel embarrassed. And this is um, important that we always acknowledge and validate 
That's the next key. Four and five is active listening and validating. Oh, Sarah, um, oh, Jennifer, please, there's no, there's nothing to apologize for your truthfulness. It's beautiful that your emotion can move. I see and I feel your grief. And of course there's some tears. And I'm honored to be with you. I'm just honored to be with you. It's okay to let them move. Just holding space for someone. Active listening and validating another, especially when there's emotion, involves you being comfortable with silence and space between speaking. Letting your presence, your tender, clear presence, your eye contact, gentle touch on the hand or the arm. This is where you, as clear presence, you will be able to accurately intuit if there's an opening for gentle touch on someone's hand or their arm. And not the kind of like, I'm rubbing your arm to make you feel better. Oh, it's okay, honey. Not that kind. You will feel your hand being moved. There, it isn't you thinking, now I touch the hand. There's, <laughs> it's you allowing yourself. Presence will move you. Presence will move your hand to theirs. So start to get more used to allowing spaciousness. Sometimes the speaker's eyes might close in active listening because you're allowing the space for them to turn inward. And just hold steady, hold that presence, hold that space. It's also okay if you feel emotion rising too and expressing. And this is where your own contemplations of impermanence are invaluable. So you're not being with another and in the sudden shock and overwhelm that this person may be dying or will die. They will at some point. So you're not going into the conversation with another shocked about that. That's why it's so essential. We take time daily to really contemplate impermanence and to contemplate that life is about everything being in our open hand. In our open hand, there is nothing. There's space between our fingers. We cannot hold anyone or anything permanently. We cannot hold or keep form, the forms as we want them. Everything is only always changing. You must, we must become a culture that gets present to that, not when there's tragedy suddenly striking or what seems like tragedy. When we actually get 
news that a friend or a loved one is navigating death or dying and we get stuck in why, why them? Why, why do we go there is because we don't contemplate this. Why not? Why not? When you hear yourself with why and why not? So in the listening and in the validating, it's, it's absolutely okay if you find yourself leaking. And yet when, you're, when I'm abiding as tender, clear presence with another, my tears are not the tears of grasping. My tears move with their tears because of the profound intimacy of this connection. That's what's moving through me. It's okay to say to someone with a smile and tears, shit, I'm gonna miss your form. I will, I will miss your form. I'd keep you here forever. And this is how you will live through me. And I will be just fine. Always important to let those others know that you will be okay. And if you, if that isn't your firm conviction, then that shows you your work. Get okay. So that everyone in your life, you can say, you can look them in the eye and say, and I will be okay. I have this all numbered out of order. Um, Validate and listen. Ah, active listening. A last important point about deep listening, active listening, is that when we are listening to someone, paraphrasing what we're hearing so that they know we're, we've got them, we're with them, um, elaborating on the emotion we imagine that they're expressing, this allows them to connect with their instinctive wisdom. When a speaker has the space to speak for in, an, in an uninterrupted way where we're not advising or fixing, they're able to empty out what is on the mental body you'll see and feel them move deeper into that vast ocean that they are of tenderness, the heart center. And it is after that that oftentimes instinctive wisdom rises up. Why does it rise up? Because we haven't pulled them out of their direct experience of moving down through the three centers and they have a direct, they have direct access to connecting to their own wisdom Wisdom in the space between thoughts oftentimes has direction, simple directions for the speaker. Oftentimes they will, they will connect to their, and I use this word in quotes, their own solution, their own reconciliation, because it came from within. It comes wisdom from the core center, rises up in the space between your thoughts. So in those pregnant pauses, in those moments of silence, 
the speakers can hear simple directions that are for them. You see, your simple directions for you are simple directions for you. Your own inner guidance communicates to you that which are the best next steps for you. They're not for someone else. So we always want to allow and honor others connecting to their own instinctive wisdom, which are simple directions. The last key, the sixth key, is is asking others if there was anything, if there's anything that you can assist them to complete in their life. Is there anything incomplete for you? Is there anything that's not reconciled or resolved? Is there anything that I can do for you? Is there anything you would like me to bring for someone on your behalf? Is there anything incomplete? Sometimes people will share with their friends and not always their family members um, areas of regret or areas of incompletion. And when those arise, because many of you have you know, been to Sacred Sunday or you have your own practices where you, where you know now that you can turn into your interior world. You can, you can turn, tune into the field in your mind's eye and you can connect with anyone you wish to in any time, in any direction where your highest meets their highest. So anything that is not resolved and reconciled in the material plane can happen in the, in, in the field, in the mind's eye. If you feel comfortable with this, you can always offer and witness and say, all right, well, let's, let's get complete and clear light net right now. Let's together just turn inward into our interior world. Let's connect with Bob. The Bob, who this person has expressed their unreconciled around. They, something was incomplete. Something was left unsaid. Something was left unspoken. And let's go out in the field together. And let's connect with Bob. And let's just sit together. And you can express, and I'll be right there with you. You can express anything and everything. And it's your highest meeting Bob's highest. And that's key. That's a key to that practice. So that may or may not be something that that you feel called to offer. And minimally, um, asking, inviting others to share, is there anything incomplete? And is there any action that you can be useful to support them in getting complete on is invaluable. So those are the six keys for being with the dying. I imagine you can hear an equal title of the six keys for being with the living. The six keys for being with all of humanity. The six keys for, all, for being with all of humankind. The six keys for being with in partnership. <laughs> the six keys for being with your children 
the six keys for being with your neighbor. They're not limited to, the, to death and dying. And yet, it's sometimes in those conversations that we have our own profound direct experiences of embodying these six keys that we see, ah, these are the six keys for deep relatedness. So I want to pause there and invite any any questions that you might have around this conversation. Uh, Let me make sure that you... Paraphrasing and, um, um, uh, for lack of a better word, guessing the emotion that they're describing. Like, I can imagine that, that that must have felt profoundly frustrating or um, very, uh, very sorrowful. Okay, Jessica. Yeah. Uh, Laura, let, let me just check and make sure you can unmute. Hey, one second. Here you go. Hi, Daniela. Hello. Um, I was I was taking notes, and I think that I was typing away under active listening and missed when we started moving into validating. Mm. So the validating, is that the part where um, <gasps> where you paraphrase and no. say, no, okay. I, I forgot to finish it. <laughs> Thank you. I think I got, lo- I looped myself back to active listening and I forgot to complete. Thank you. <laughs> um, so so a, a, a central feature of validating is when someone is someone might share in active listening or at any point in a conversation that you're present with them, uh, they might say, they might express a deep fear or a worry or a concern. Like, I am so scared. I am so scared of losing the ability of my my legs or I'm so scared to die. I've never really thought about death or dying. I always kept, I always focused, it was a topic I just never wanted to really think about. And here I am. Validation means absolutely acknowledging, you know, um, Bob, I absolutely hear that you're scared right now. The key words are right now. And then to say, and that's okay. It's okay to feel scared right now. The reason the right now is such an important part of validation is it just acknowledges the truthfulness of Bob's experience in that living moment. And it doesn't mean it has to always be forever. It acknowledges without acknowledging. It, see, I don't have to say, and that might change, right? It's assumed, it's the undercurrent of right now means and it can change. It's just right now in this moment, yes, I really understand that you feel scared right now. And now if we're validating in active listening, right? The active listening has validation built into it. I'm gonna be silent in that moment. You see, the temptation we typically go to is, I wanna offer something so you're not scared. I wanna, I wanna offer, I wanna bring in some solutions. We want to let that pause. We want to allow our presence to be with them 
and let the person, they may burst out crying and that's okay. Don't try to fix it. Let it move. This all cannot be just on the mental body. And sometimes a expressing a fear or a worry or a concern and you just acknowledging it is okay to feel very scared right now, Bob. I understand that. And there may be a burst of emotion. And, and then when that wave of emotion moves, they will very likely express additional worries and concerns. They'll express what's underneath that. And especially if there's anger or outrage, it's okay, I, I absolutely, I hear your anger right now, Bob. I hear it. It's okay to feel anger right now. And under anger is oftentimes when the anger, when we're not trying to solve or rationalize the anger or help somebody move out of anger, often under the anger is sorrow. So that can move. When we're with, you know, if we have the honor to be with someone who is actively dying, um, it, it's, it's a, it, like any living moment. There's a sacredness to the intimacy of the living moment. Oftentimes being with the death and dying brings, heightens the profound intimacy of the sacred moment. And every moment is a sacred moment, right? Being with the dying can actually greatly inform our being with the living. So express, expressing what we cherish about another is heart to heart. Letting someone know what they mean to us, how they, how they inform our greatness how they have contributed to our own growth, our own evolution, how they've contributed to our learning, how they've contributed and how they will continue to live that their best we will embody, that we strive, we aspire to embody their best. And that is how we always will feel very close with them sharing wonderful memories, sharing, share, just sharing what and why we cherish them. How, what a difference someone has made for us. And what they will, con what they, and equally important, the difference they will continue to make for us. And can you hear how these conversations with everyone and everywhere Right, there's, there's that song, I think it's by Garth Brooks, like live like you're dying. Well, speaking to others as if they're dying, having that be your secret silent practice radically impacts the way you treat yourself and others if you spoke to everyone this way, if you related to everyone this way. So let me give you the penny version of an exercise. That's a really brilliant starting point. Okay. okay. There's nothing in our, in our beliefs or our minds 
that we are we are there to like beat back. Okay? It can sometimes feel like, wow, how do I attack these thoughts, you know? <laughs> in, in, in fact, it's quite the opposite. We, we want to bring into the light of awareness, okay, what am I dealing with here? What is in my mind that ultimately we are here to meet with understanding? There's nothing to transform. If we rush too quickly to try to just let it go, especially these really deep core beliefs or worries or concerns, it doesn't work to just let them go. It doesn't work to just turn our attention to a a more uplifting thought. Not the deep thoughts that have deep roots in us because these are beliefs that have been passed on to us from our culture, our family, our upbringing from just life. We've like, we've absorbed beliefs uh, sink into us, um, like, like putting food coloring in clear water. Where you would write at the top of a blank piece of paper, um, you might have a few sheets, okay? One top, at the top of one paper might say, my worries and concerns about, um, my death, my worry, and then another sheet is titled "My Worries or Concerns About Being with My Being with Grandma," and then another sheet might be "My Worries and Concerns About Hell." Okay, I'm just making things up. Then under, uh, so now you've got maybe five beliefs you've identified are the boomers. They're the ones that are stopping you. So under each belief, you now put a series of bullet points and you get really specific. What is the belief? What's supporting that? I'm worried because I did this thing, I, 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 I might go to hell. Or I'm, I'm scared to, I'm scared to, and then on the other sheet about grandma, I'm scared to be with her because I don't wanna freeze up. Right, whatever it is, you wanna put all your, your, your thoughts on paper, because this is the first step in meeting your mind with understanding. Just getting, it's like, it's like acknowledging a room full, filled with crying or scared children that I see you and I see you and I'm going to name you and I'm not going to forget you, I'm going to come back to you. Those lists now inform you of your work that each of those are there for you to reconcile, to start to explore further. And the process of inquiry invites every, anything and everything from, well, where did this belief actually come from? What do I remember about my first believing this, right? So inquiry starts to bring loving light of awareness to our beliefs so we can start to question them. Which ones do we wanna keep? Which ones are there to unpack further? Which ones have action around uh, around them? Which one actually is light enough to say, oh my gosh, I really don't believe this and I can consciously let this one go. So, so in, we, we have other curriculum um, and, and uh, where I, I, I can go into this a lot further. However, this is a starting point to start to bring, to start to bring loving awareness 
to our thoughts, to our beliefs, to our worries and concerns so that we can start to attend to them. They're seeking reconciliation. Every belief we have that, that is stressful or that would stop us from engaging in our core center. Our core center is where we're love in action, where we are present in action. It's like we're, where we're stopped says something has not been reconciled in our mind. There's something that needs attending to. There's an aspect of yourself in, or in your life story that is seeking reconciliation. And then we start on that conscious pathway to reconcile it. It's not your job to necessarily figure out how. It's now holding the aspiration. This is something I want to reconcile. Game on. I don't know how to, and I'm paying attention. Bring it to me. Show me the resource. Bring me the next step so I can start to reconcile this. Because many, remember, our beliefs, we are conditioned. We have conditioned beliefs, meaning they were given to us by others and by our culture that we were raised in. Movies, music, songs, informed by our Enneagram type, you name it, influenced by so many things. And it's for us to now get clearer and reconcile that which is unreconciled that stops us. We all have access in our inner world. Your, oh, the divine creative intelligence and your pow our powers of creative intelligence in when we turn inward in the mind's eye, we can summon anyone, anything that we intend because it is the, it is the heart of pure intention that brings us into our inner world. And we can summon, we can meet with anyone we wish to. And oftentimes in Sacred Sunday, that is one, the very first practice. This spontaneously arises for a lot of participants where um, it's the first, the first part of Sacred Sunday is a forgiveness and reconciliation practice and meditation. And we are all in the field, in our inner world, in our interior castle, in our inner journey, where any reconciliation that is there to happen will happen spontaneously. Whomever is best to arrive will arrive. And it, they, they may be those that are still with us in the material plane. They equally may be those in the unseen realm. Mm -hmm. And again, it is, I always go to, it is where the highest is meeting the highest. And it is a direct experience. And you see and you feel and you're connecting your eyes with theirs. And there's a, a process in Sacred Sunday of in that connection with your eyes to theirs where the exchange happens, where the reconciliation, where the amending happens. Mm -hmm. Oh, everyone is welcome to come to Sacred Sunday. No, 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 that's open to anyone. If you're in the Yoga Farm community Facebook group, I, I post the link there. Yoga Farm Ithaca Facebook page. Every week I post the Sacred Sunday link there. It's on Zoom. You can have cameras on or off. Everyone is welcome. You're welcome to share it with anyone that you think would, would enjoy it. The more comfortable we become with death and dying, the more full we can live our lives. We're here to feel the rapture of being alive, the whole spectrum. And the more comfortable we become with, with death and dying, 
the more clear we get around our own, what holds us back from the full embodied expression of ourselves. We're here to feel the rapture of being alive. That's what we're here to experience. To remember what we really are and to feel the rapture of being alive. We're here to embody the transcendent. And it happens through these processes, through these ways of being, our doorways to our clear, kind mind, our higher mind, not the egotistical mind, the higher mind, access to our warm, open heart. Your heart never closes, only the mind does. The mind is the gatekeeper to your open, warm heart. The heart doesn't close, just the mind. And with these centers in communication, we have engaged action in our life. We're not stopped. And we can be sober with our lives. The whole spectrum, the in, we can be with pain and be with pain. And yet we don't unnecessarily suffer. We don't have to unnecessarily suffer. We can be with pain sober. We can be with others' pain sober. And we don't have, we can have freedom from unnecessary suffering. It all starts with a ripple, 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 ripple. Before it becomes a wave.